The following shear has been presented by Rav Yosef Greenwald, Dayan at the Beis Havad of Yerushalayim, and is brought to you by the Beis Havad Halacha Center. The center can be reached for dispute resolution and many other halachic services at 888-485-VAD or at the halachacenter.org. The Pesach tells us that as the world deteriorated, humanity went down the slippery slope towards the point of no return, where what was nigzar alem from the revenge on was total destruction because the world had corrupted itself so totally that it was past the point of redemption. And unfortunately, it's eerily reminiscent of the world we live in, where there's no sense of right and wrong. Morality is frowned upon. Basic decency is something to be ashamed of in the outside world. And of course, as Ehrlich Yidin, our standards are that much higher. But of course, we're influenced by what goes on around us. And it's important to examine our concept of decency, morality, and more importantly, Kedusha, Kedusha's, uh, the, our married life, because the Torah says, mm-hmm. Rashi says, The moral decline, the corruption, the rat, the decay of the Dor HaMabel was primarily in the realm of Arais. Of course, there was Gezel also, the Torah refers to Chomos, which means Gezel, Despite the fact that one could argue that the Chomas that's being referred to is also, is also the concept of each person prying into somebody else's life and taking that which is his in the realm of privacy could also be a uh, description of a world of Ashkosa binyone arise. But Chazal do put a finger on Gezel. What's interesting is there's a Sefer that's called Sefer Hachayim. Sefer HaChaim is a Sefer that was written by Reb Chaim, the brother of the Maral. The Maral had brothers that were Anoshim Gedol. One of them was Reb Chaim, was a, uh, one of the Gedolei Rabbonim in Germany. And there was a while that he was locked up in the midst of a plague, very reminiscent of the uh, situation that we've been in the last while, and it was hard for him to concentrate on in-depth writing. So he wrote a Sefer Musa, which is a classic, and there are a lot of interesting pieces over there. In one piece he describes the, he breaks down world history in terms of the Iker Yetzahara. He says what makes the world go round, what makes the trials and tribulations and problems and uh, all the different ups and downs of world history is the fact that the Yetzirah is always pulling the strings to make people act in certain ways. He says, but the Yetzirah has changed form. He breaks world history into three parts. The first 2,000 years, what Chazal called the Gemara Navajizor, Alpayim Shal Toyu, the world was created, Toyu Voyu, until the year 2000, the world didn't have an Avrom Avinu, to give it redeeming value, the next 2,000 years are called Alpayim Shal from when Avram Avinu started teaching Torah to the world. The last 2,000 years are already somewhat prep- preparatory for Mashiach, Alpayim Shal Mashiach. says that the first 2,000 years of world history, the main Yetzirah that drove the world was the Yetzirah of Arayis, and that was the Dor HaMabu. The next 2,000 years, the opposite of Torah is the Yetzirah of Avod Zorah. We see how powerful, you see from Tanakh, how powerful the Yetzirah of Avod Zorah is. We, of course, don't have a Yetzirah of Avod Zorah. The last 2,000 years, he says, the main Yetzirah that drives humanity is the Yetzirah for money. He says, Rosh 
The first 2,000 years, Znus, Zayin, Avaydzara, Ayin, Mem is Momoin. Zayin, Ayin, and Mem is Rosh Zam, Ad Yavar Zam. The Rebbein waits for humanity until the wrath, until the anger has passed, until the Yetzirah gets finished doing his thing, and ultimately the Yetzirah will be destroyed, and the world will be cleansed of all forms of corruption and impurity. We're unfortunately living in a world where that same slide into moral decay and total corruption is evident wherever we look around. And it's important to have our sensitivities sharpened and heightened in order to keep our uh, morality in place, our sensitivities in place. And what I'd like to do, Be'ez Hashem, is examine for a few minutes somewhat from a halachic perspective, but it will give us also a hashkafic insight into the difference between marriage as it exists by us and marriage as it exists in the Umm Asylum. Of course, when we're talking about marriage amongst Yidin, we're talking about a binyan adeyad, we're talking about neshamis, we're talking about something which is nitzchis, and that's not certainly not the perspective from the goyish standpoint, from the secular standpoint, but even halachically, marriage has a different connotation when we're talking outside the realm of halacha. Let's open up a Rambam in Perek Aleph, Mihilchas Yishus Halacha Aleph. And he says like this, Before Matan Torah, we're talking over here about law-abiding citizens. A man would meet a woman. Pashuk just means uh, any place. If they want to get married, that means that they're not uh, they're not in it together for, you know, just temporarily, but they decide to make a commitment to each other. Machnisa, which is a basic concept that the Umm understood, unfortunately, till a hundred years ago. And that concept that a commitment of marriage is not really a commitment and it could be broken at any point is unfortunately the standard instead of the deviation in today's world. And like we said, of course, it has a it has a negative influence on us, despite the fact that when we get married, we get married samech yisamach and we get married for keeps, for real, and we get married with the idea that the bond of marriage is a bond between two human beings, lo and the Rambam says that before Matan Torah by the Umm that's the way it is today. Mutual consent defines the marriage. They live together. That's how they get married. He has to make a kinyin and the Magad Mishnah says that the Yichud, the defining themselves as in a state of marriage itself, there's no Kenyan that's done between the uh, husband and the wife in Halochis of Benoyach, of Um Sa'ilam. Mutual consent is what creates the marital bond. The understanding of this is not just that there's exactly a Kosov, that a Yid, that in Halokh you have to make a Maisek Kenyan. It goes deeper than that also. The Ran explains in Kedushin, I'm sorry, in the Dharm Dav Chavtes, that 
in actuality, like the Gemara tells us in Gedushin, the husband does the kinyan. The husband does the ma'aseh kinyan. There, there's no participation from the wife in the kinyan. The kinyan has to be done by him with her consent. Where do we find that one party, normally if there's a transaction between two parties, both of them are present in the transaction. Both of them are part of the transaction. Where do we find that one does and one is just willing to let the other one be, uh, do the Kenyan? Only by Kedushin. The Ran explains that in actuality the woman is not being uh, is not being koina, is not being makna herself to the husband. What she's doing is she's mafkeres atzmo, and then he's koina her. What does that mean? She's mafkeres. She, so to speak, lets herself, uh, she lets herself go. She's mafkeres herself. She's just misratza that her husband should be koina her. Which is a, a little bit of a, a strange depiction. Mafkeres atzmo. I believe what the Ran is saying is like this. Let's examine for a minute the difference between the Maisekinian, which is done by Kedushin, a marital Maisekinian, and the Maisekinian lahavdal of buying a car or buying a house. When a person buys a house, there's nothing about this house that definitively is the bias of Reuven. Reuven buys a house. The house is the house of Reuven. It's owned by Reuven. The fact is Reuven was koina. Once he was koina, or if he's koina car, as soon as he gets in, turns the keys, he does the Maisa Kenyan. The car belongs to him. The car is his. Is there anything that defines the car existentially as the car show Reuven? No. Vaharaya. He could sell the car five minutes later. You could buy a house, and you could sell the house five minutes later. So obviously there's nothing about the house that's defined as, as, there's nothing about it that it's your car. It just happens to be you were kind of, you're the owner. If, if I was previously the owner and I let you be kind of it, I'm making it to you, so now you become the owner. If you then decide to sell it back to me, so now I become the owner. Kedushin, the definition of the king in Kedushin is not just mutual consent, but the fact of the matter is that when a woman gets married, when a couple gets married, the woman becomes definitively Aishas Ruven. She is now, her identity is Aishas Ruven. It's not just she was masking to allow herself to be Niknes Aide Ruven. She is definitively Aishas Ruven. And Gerishin has to undo her identity. Marriage is an identity. The reason why, and, and, and the reason why that's not true on the husband's end is because a man can marry two wives, Al Piyalacha. So you can't define him as Ish Shel Rifka, Ish Shel that's not true. She, however, is Aishas Ruven. So what the Ram is telling us is that what she does is she allows herself to become Aishas Ruven. She allows herself to become an extension, Ish Taikigufa, she allows herself to become an extension of Ruven. Basically, what this means to tell us is that Jewish marriage is existential. It's not just mutual agreement. It's not just mutual consent. It's existentially defining that couple as being one unit. Whereas, like we said, Kedushin, by Umusa'ilam, there's a concept of two people living together by mutual consent. There's nothing to do, there's nothing existential. Now, if it's not existential, Fashtetza, that it could be broken apart at any point, in any way. There's nothing, if there's nothing existential about it, then two people 
even though they say by the marriage vows, they say, till death do us part, that's obviously not the reality that's recognized today in the Western world. The reason for that is because if I agree to be in a relationship with you, who says that's going to work for me in two years from now? But there's nothing definitive about the two of us being married to each other. Now, because like we said, marriage, the halachos of, of Yisrael, of Matan Torah, is definitive when a couple unfortunately with divorce, you can't lose a definition totally. If somebody marries, uh, if Reuven marries Rivka, Rivka to a certain extent is still Aishas Reuven even after they get divorced. The Marit in fact explains in the fourth parak in Kedushin that that's why she can't marry a Kayan. There's something compromised in the quality of her relationship with somebody else because to be Midam is to a certain extent she still is Aishas Reuven. A Kohen Gadol can't even marry an Almona. An Almona is less defined still as Aishas Ruvain. But still, there is something there. Kroivim are Osir. A person is not allowed to marry his wife's Kroivim even after she passes away. Only Achois Ishta, only the sister's wife, is not a full erva, so therefore it's, uh, that erva is Mutur Laacha Misas Ishta. Other Arayis are also a mother-in-law, a sister-in-law, etc., an aunt. And the, uh, all these arayis are still also even after Misa or divorce between the two parties. But Neich doesn't work that way. Now what's interesting is, is that, like we're saying, Gerishin has to create an existential change. But Benoich is not that way. The Yerushalmi says in the beginning of Kedushin, En Gerishin le What does that mean? The Rambam says in Hilchus Malachim, When does a marriage end in the halachas of Benoich? Either he wants her out and he sends her away, or could be done by mutual consent. The the beauty and the kedusha of Jewish marriage is such that since it's not two people in a mutual relationship, but the existential nature, the definitive nature of marriage is such that a woman is an extension; she's kigufoi. Of her husband, so when he marries her, when he takes her, she becomes existentially Ashes Ruven. So the only way to do that, the Torah created a framework for undoing that existential nature called being Ashes Ruven. The Torah created Gerushin. Benarich doesn't need that. Again, the relationship is only based on mutual consent. It's not existential. So therefore, when they decide to part ways, they don't have a concept of giving you a get. They could separate from each other. The Lahabdul, the religious Goyim, some of them have a concept that there is no divorce. The Ramam says by Ben since the marriage is created based on mutual consent, similar to a regular Kenyan. So as soon as you decide to part ways, that's it. The relationship is over. And that reality is, uh, is bottled as soon as you, as soon as you decide to, to, to be bevatled. Now, the Ran in Sanhedrin, Dafnul Chesam and Beis, in the Halochus of Ben Noach, brings Bashem Rabbeinu David. Rabbeinu David is an otherwise unknown reason that the Ran quotes in many places in Sanhedrin. We as well has the Chedushin of, of Rabbeinu David on Psachim. There are a lot of Chedushin there. One of the Chedushin the Ran says, in the Sugya Ben Noyach is this concept that since 
Yerushalmi says, in Gerushim, what that means is there is no way to undo the marriage. There's no way to undo the marriage. So the is stuck. The Ramam clearly says not that way. Since the relationship is created by mutual consent, so it can be undone by mutual consent. The Ram Grad argues on Rabbi Nadav, he says no, he says like the Rambam. Makes sense. The, the starting point for Rabbi Nadav, that there is no relation, is also that marriage is not the same thing. But once there's a relationship of mutual consent, so it's done. There is no vehicle called Gerushim, because there's no vehicle called Ishus, called Kedushim. Goes together. What's interesting is, is that when you look at the Medrash and Bereshus Rabbah, it seems to be that there's two tzadim exactly what happens. How in halachas of a Ben-Noyach divorce is created, or a dissolution of marriage, better put, there's no divorce, there's no, there's no Gerushin. The Medrash says, Rav Chonin v'shem Rav Yechnen Omar, she'en lahem Gerushin. And then the, the Medrash continues, Oishe Shneem Megarshin Zezeh. Sounds like he's saying Tutsadim. Ain Lam Gerushin. Either they can't get divorced, or, like there's a possibility, it's a suffix, each one is Megarish the other. That's what it would sound like. Sounds like this Machloik is between the Rambam and Rabbeinu David. Are really Tutsadim a suffix in Yerushalmi, Vishem Rabbi Yechanan. It's interesting is, you take a look at the Mepharshim over there, they had a different Gersa in the Yerushalmi. Not in Gersh in the ben this is the Yerushalmi Namish in the beginning of Kedushin. The Gersa in the Yerushalmi is Oishe in Lam Gershin, Oishe Shneem Megarshin. And what it sounds like is, and this is the way the Mepharshim explained over there, you have to take a look at the Pnei Moshe and the Korban Eida over there in the Yerushalmi in the beginning of Kedushin. The way the Mepharsh is, is that the the suffix is or the tutstadim is Oisha ain lahem gerushin by force. That means the way the Rambam says each side could force the other one out. He wants out, he could walk out, he could send her out, he could walk out, she could also, she could walk out on him. Oisha ain lahem gerushin except by mutual consent. Oisha shnehem megarushin or both of them could decide to dissolve the marriage. That means. Being that the marriage is only a product of mutual consent, so then it could be dissolved, but here's the, here's the suffix. It could be dissolved by mutual consent, or it could be dissolved by each side. And that's, you could hear both sides. Since it's by mutual consent, so maybe you need the consent of both parties to dissolve. The same way the religion was created by both of them, maybe not. Since it's created by mutual consent, the same way if one wanted and one didn't want in the first place, the marriage is not there. So also, if one wants out, so that's it. The mutual consent is not there anymore. That seems to be the uh, that stood them. It's an interesting, another shot, like we said, there's two ways to dissolve a marriage. One way to dissolve a marriage is divorce. The other way to dissolve, to dissolve a marriage is Misa Sabal. So the Pnei Yeshua says in Gedushin Afid Gimlam Beis, the Gemara needs a posuk to be matir and isha l'shuk if she, if her husband dies. Of course, if her husband dies, it does not dissolve that she is no longer Eishes Ruven. She's not, like we said, she's not allowed to marry his Groivim. Or Yuvama, she's still in the marriage insofar as the state of Yibum to her brother-in-law is concerned. She's still considered Aishas Ruven, if she has children. She's still considered, if Ruven was a Koyan, she could still eat Truma based on her relationship with Ruven, so on. There are many illustrations of this idea. But the Torah has to bring a Pasuk, 
for Mrs. Abal, because we wouldn't know it, Minasvar. Maybe once she's married, she's married him forever. Maybe she's stuck. She's an Ashes Ish. No, the Torah says that now he died, that's Matir and Ishulashuk. Says the Pneshua, Benerch doesn't have a possible. So the same way there's no Gershon, there's no Mrs. Abal, there's no Matir and Mrs. Abal. The way we explained, the marriage of Goyim is not a Chalois Kedush, it's not a Chalois Ishus in the Halachic sense, it's a relationship created by mutual consent. Since it's a relationship created by mutual consent, there's certainly no mutual consent when he passes away. They're certainly not uh, consenting to live together. So you don't need a pasuk. You only need a pasuk by chalois ishus, which is a halacha unique to Kedusha Sisro. This point is made by the Mechazchenuch in Mitzvah Laman Hay, arguing with the Pnei Yeshua. What we have over here is a uh, unique perspective into the Kedusha of a Jewish marriage. It's not two people that are just having a relationship based on mutual consent, but there's something existentially that ties two people together. The concept that we're so fond when uh, when when one of us is in Shaduchim of Bashert, of two people that are defined as being belonging to the same unit, building the same uh, family and building the same unit of a bias of Kedusha that will last forever, that concept is uniquely Jewish. And it's understandable that by the Umas Sa'ilam, where the concept of personal decency has deteriorated, of course, then uh, mutual consent is very up in the air. And it can be defined with very little level of commitment, and it can be made and broken and broken and made, and uh, there's nothing violating about it. But of course, that's a descent into a place of no morality. We understand also that the concept of uh, znus in the perspective of mutual consent is not a violation of Kedusha, but what it is, it's a violation of an agreement with somebody. It's a violation of personal commitment to somebody else. So the Torah can also define Chomos in the same way. I would add, that's why in Torah there's a halacha, that if the Yishra Achman al is Mizana, she's Asur Labayla, because the violation of the Kedusha of the marriage is irrevocable. You can't replace that. If it's a matter of mutual consent, okay, that trust, that consent, it's wrong to break trust, it's wrong to break consent, but we could then mend the, we could then mend the fence, we could, we could, we could repair a breach in the trust and the commitment in our relationship. It's a whole different Mitzias. What this should give us insight, the Mika Amchi Yisrael, the Kedusha, that's part and parcel of our lives, of our chinuch, of our homes, of our marriages, and we should carry that pride with us in a way, the Yisrael HaShabuchot that even when the world is deteriorating around us, where every 10, 15 years the world is unrecognizable, from what went 15 years of what was considered decent behavior today is considered, what's, what was considered shocking today is not shocking at all. What was considered scandalous is not scandalous today. And we're trying with our pride in our Kedushas Yisrael to hold on to our standards. Eventually, I should give us a Siat Tishmaya to be able to hold on to that Kedusha and the pride in the Kedusha that we carry with us and to give that over to future generations.
The Base Havad on the Parsha series has been brought to you by the Base Havad Halacha Center. To reach the center for halacha consultations, service, educational seminars, or media, please call 1-888-485-VAD. That's 1-888-485-8223. To sign up to the BHHJ, the Beis Havad's weekly interactive e-journal, please visit www.bhhj.org or you can email us at office at the halachacenter.org.